Well, we're back. It's EGAT. Much different podcast this week than last week. Paul, we've talked about this. I said on Friday on the afternoon show that we're like Angela Lansbury in Murder, She Typed. She wasn't writing. She was typing. And we're not even to the first commercial break. Like, we're still gathering evidence on who killed who and what the hell is going on. And we were rightfully excited after last week's podcast or with last week's podcast after last week's game because of the way Texas played, the way they were coached, all that. And that went down the tubes pretty quickly. We're kind of back where we were, aren't we? I got to say something about Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) One thing that's fascinating about this, first of all, an amazing amount of murder and crime in this small New England town where she lives. I think she was setting all that up for business. Ah, and then secondly, uh, a menopausal, somewhat elderly, snoopy woman (laughs) is is never suffering any reprisals for constantly foiling and identifying murderers. (laughs) Like they never, they never think to to beat this woman to death with like a, a fire tool or like a fire poke or anything just laying around the house because they're willing to commit dastardly deeds. But the minute she outs them, they confess and, and walk off in handcuffs. Yeah, I totally agree. Columbo was a bigger threat. Yeah. With, Peter Falk with that. With I, one eye. I just, I just have one more question. Isn't that what the thing was? Right. One more question. Yeah. I mean, at least, um, at least Inspector Clouseau had some basic karate ability <laughs> from his battles with Cato, right? True. Uh, and then French, the Hercule Poirot, right? He he was a – oh, well, I mean, Sherlock Holmes was a badass, right? Yeah, yeah, no, he, 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 he was a And he had a henchman, Watson, who was like a military veteran, complete badass, right? Who always had a Barney Fife bullet. We, did, always we, did, had a, we didn't yep, see it, but we knew it. a single-shot pistol. Oh, God. Hey, what? man, how was your weekend? How well? I'm a Texas and Notre Dame fan, so you can imagine <laughs> how that turned out. And the Notre Dame, not that I was thrilled or, or – I told you, I, th- I think Notre Dame's got a lot – you know, is not not going to be that good. But after the Jacksonville State-Florida State game, I think you got a better feel for that. Uh, yeah, but Notre Dame looked uh, – they're a hell of a lot better than Texas. They got problems with their offensive line. But as I told you all summer, I will – believe it when I see it and I thought this offensive line was going to be garbage which is why I was somewhere between seven and five eight and four nine and three at the best and we just saw it again now we're going to get into it because it was a different front and Arkansas played some games Odom and Bryles outcoached their counterparts but this offensive line is dog shit and it will be until they get better personnel I think it's a personnel issue. I also think it's a deployment of personnel issue. Um, You know, the offensive line certainly showed some capabilities at the end of last season. And as I sort of expressed to you, my fear with Kyle Flood was what? He likes big guys and doesn't like the Carricks of the world. He doesn't like the Andre Carricks of the world. He doesn't like outside zone. He doesn't like having that sort of scheme. He wants to run power. He wants to run inside. He wants to do inside zone and, and do some occasional counters. And what's, what's interesting is if you go back and rewatch the game and God help me, if you do, I had to do it because I write about it at, at inside Texas and we have this podcast, but it was just a complete lack of whose guys are supposed to block. It wasn't just, you know, I'm, I'm not good, which was part of it. But it's also just basic offensive line rules. And it was it was really weird to watch, and I don't understand it. And I don't understand your senior and Denzel Okafor is still turning his shoulders and, quote-unquote, helping with an already blocked defensive lineman and allowing a linebacker or safety to just sprint unmolested through his gap. It's just – and it's happening in the running game. Can I um, answer that quickly? Please. He's a sixth-year senior. Why is he there? Yeah, well, he's, the NFL wasn't beating down his door. That's a good point. No, they weren't. But, Neither was the CFL. But <laughs> well, I got to tell you, though, man, there's pretty well-coached Texas 6A high schools where that doesn't happen. Right. And, yeah. And the NFL's not beating down uh, I'm across the street Johnny from Morgan's one. door. 
I'm sorry. No, I, I, I was just saying I'm, I'm, I'm across the street from one at Westlake who's well-coached. Lake Travis, yeah. well-coached. Yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting. I So I don't know if you saw this in the game. I mean, it's kind of a random thing I picked up on. I just thought it was funny, and it kind of illustrated the coaching issue. Um, on the three of the first four possessions that Texas had, which Texas, of course, started terribly, right? Six first two drives were three and outs. The first four possessions, uh, three of the first four possessions, we started with a first down run with Bijan Robinson because they're showing that three man front, right? And we would get a gain. So we, Texas would get positive yardage. They ended up in second and seven, second and two. And second and five. Those are pretty positive downs, right? Yeah. Immediately on the next play, Arkansas would show the same front, which was a false front, because immediately both of their safeties would be sprinting down, as well as their two linebackers would be run gap blitzing. And they'd also play some games at the line. And Texas would run the ball again, which they did, again, on three of these first four possessions, on second and favorable. And this is what happened on the first one. Bijan run into safety run blitz, four-yard loss, third and 11. Second one, second and two, by the way, Bijan Robinson into linebacker run blitz, two-yard loss, third and four. Fourth possession, second and five, Bijan run into D-line slant linebacker blitz, one-yard loss, penalty, third and 11. So from second and favorable, Texas, on three of its first four possessions, ran the exact same Bijan run exactly into the gap where Barry Odom was predicting the run would go and he'd target his run blitz. Yeah, they were showing three high. They, you know, they, they, they didn't play as much as of an, of an odd front against uh, Rice, and we saw that. We, we uh, you know, watched the game, rewatched it, and they changed things up, but they really confused Texas, uh, as you're talking about, and, and those are good numbers to kind of prove that. They really got the better end of Texas. I mean, Odom outcoached Sark. DC to OC and vice versa with Kendall Bryles and also Kwiatkowski who played a lot of too high when you really shouldn't have been playing that and you saw the run game you saw the run game for Texas get stuffed because of the scheme and maybe pre-snap look and then you saw Arkansas be able to run for essentially 200 yards more than Texas ran for 195 they got out coached they got outplayed but Let's be very honest about this. There's only so much this coaching staff who got out coached, and we have no idea whether they're the staff or not. This is a very – there's a ceiling for the talent here, and there's questions mm-hmm. about the offensive line, the receivers, the linebackers, and the secondary, and all that is still there. I, th- this looks like a 7-5 and five type team, maybe 8-4 and four if they coach them up to it, but – I look, there's still a long way to go. You're right about the offensive line, and they could have actually schemed them into better spots. They're not good. All five would be replaced if you could, if you really had the type of talent you need, which goes back to the transfer portal when I kept on saying, Can we get an offensive lineman? And people told me, No, we're all good there. No, we're not. Uh, it, 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 Odom must have looked at the film and laughed at Louisiana because that's not a great defensive line, and they were getting home with three at times, where Texas was blocking five on offense and three are getting home. That says a lot. It does, and if you agree, or most people would agree, that offensive line is one of the most development-intensive positions, right? Not just physically, but mentally. No doubt. I would say it's number one. Well, I mean, so if quarterbacks there too. If that's true, you know, like, how is the University of Iowa, or I'm not even I'm not even talk about that because they have like a little bit of an offensive line tradition. How is decent Big Twelve team, whoever, fill in the blank? How are they taking a bunch of two and three star offensive linemen, and over the course of their development, generally? churning out acceptable offensive line play. Two what, thi- what is it? What's the missing ingredient here? Hey, there's two things. Evaluating properly, and that's the toughest one because you get a 16-year-old who hit puberty at eight and has been dominating, and dad has him lifting weights, you know, twice a day. And 
making sure that that guy is not going to be a dud at the next level because there's no ceiling. So evaluate properly, something Mike Sherman's great at, and then developing them. But part of the development, I mean, neither of those have been there. So some of this is on the previous staff, but some of it's on the hubris of this staff, looking at Christian Jones, Okafor, and saying that that these are the guys. Now, Carrick and Connor may not be any better. So Texas just may be even worse than I thought with the garden, as I call it, of the offensive line. We're picking, we're picking vegetables way too early, and they're crap anyway. That's an interesting metaphor. That's really good. Um, no, the offensive line to me is a garden. It, it really is. And so the really good ones, and Notre Dame's not there this year. They have been in the last 10 years, where you, you, pick, you pick it perfectly whenever it's the perfect time to pick it. And sometimes you pick it and you don't cook it for a couple of days. Because you've got a bounty. And Texas has been on the opposite side where they're picking stuff way too early because they're starving. And there have been times in history where people say, hey, I understand this is not the perfect time. We just needed to sprout a little bit. I've got kids that are hungry. But even if it would have gotten to that optimal perfect time, still would have tasted like shit. Kevin, what is the, in your opinion the vegetable with the most edge to the to it the most edgy vegetable most edge yeah it's got the most edge what's the softest vegetable and what's the most edgy vegetable uh the softest you know potato is great you can do so many things with it you can get it at different times in terms of edge you got to get zucchini at the right time yeah well i don't think our offensive line is full of zucchini and here's why in the middle of the game you have an Arkansas defensive end after the whistle is blown and about a full two beat goes by. He launches into Hudson card who's standing relaxed while Christian Jones looks on. There's no flag thrown. And let me suggest to you that there needs to be a flag thrown there, not because of the infraction, which was obvious, but because Christian Jones needs to take his head and spear that dude in the back of his head for hitting his quarterback late. Right. And by doing that, there'd be two flags thrown, Kevin. This is how football works. It would force the referee to acknowledge the initial personal foul by the Arkansas defensive lineman, which was bullshit, right? Yep. And then you'd get a a flag thrown on Christian Jones for defending him. They'd probably be offsetting and you move on. But at least you send a message that you're not going to put up with that. Well, later in the game, that same defensive end takes another late hit on Casey Thompson. This time, the guy knows exactly what he's doing. And that did get penalized. That did get flagged. But the Texas offensive line just milled around and watched it happen. Yeah. I don't get that. There's no zucchini. If that's the edgiest vegetable in this garden, there's no zucchini on this offensive line. And it's great that they're good guys and nice guys. We might want to find a prick or two. Totally agree. And and look – a lot of people saw that and, and, and heard it on postgame. That just goes to show you – now, you're right because you gave both quarterbacks there, but they were talking about the Hudson Card example and said that this team – this offensive line didn't have Hudson's back. No, it's not that. It's that they're really soft, and the team looked soft. They got rattled really quickly, including Hudson yep. Card, but the offensive line was overwhelmed not only physically, schematically, but also with their attitude. And they got punked. And it's going to be a soft offensive line. You know, I was not uh, – it, it did not help help out at all watching Sark's 25-minute press conference today where he kind of hemmed and hauled and said, well, you know, I mean – because someone asked him, hey, do, do you really get after them in the locker room? And he said, well, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. Sometimes you got to be a, a bad cop and a parent. And these guys need to need to get their ass woken up because skill-wise, their ceiling's only so high. This is going to have to be an offensive line, which we've seen before. I would claim the 98 line is much more talented than this, but they were not a bunch of pros on there. Yet there was a togetherness, not only the, the hand, five fingers with one in communication and working together, but also an attitude with those guys. And we haven't seen that with either defensive, with either line, because the defensive line has more talent 
and they haven't played well for two weeks now. You talked about their pad level being high in week one. They yep. just they just got their doors blown off by a big offensive line, but there aren't any pro guys when I'm looking at scouting on that line. There may be once the year plays out. That's a beautiful thing about college football is that it's very fluid and it changes, but they got manhandled. They had five backs, five guys, I think it was five, that rushed for six or more carries in 6.3 yards was the minimum for each of them. They got their ass handed to them, and some of that is schematical too. We can get into the linebackers and and what wasn't good defensively. I thought both coaches got out coached, both coordinators did, and I was hoping this year that they were going to be able to scheme around certain deficiencies. But those deficiencies, the ones I worried about that I'll believe it when I see it, are all there. Linebackers, secondary, offensive line, easily number one, secondary number two, and wide receivers, too, getting open. You're absolutely right. You know what? We're going to revisit. We're going to drill down on all that. You know, the thing is, if you can't be a winner on the field by proxy with the Longhorns, you could be a winner off the field, Kevin. And you know who's got win in his name? Um, I was about to give you a uh, – best say Winfred Tugs, Tubbs. I was going to give you a, a smart-ass answer. I'm, I'm thinking Gabe, actually. Gabe wins slow. Now, <laughs> you can win fast or you can win slow, but you're going to win with Gabe. And the way you do that is by calling 832-557-1095 or go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Last week, I teased the fact that he had recently done a refi with a guy on a 15-year note, 1.875. Look, interest rates are incredible right now. Gabe is great at what he does. He has 100 different lenders to pick from. If you need to refi or you're in the market for a new house or at home, Gabe is the guy you need to call. If he's not your first call, make him your last call and make sure that you're getting quoted the best possible rate with the best possible service. It's one thing to quote a rate. It's another thing to deliver on it, Kevin. And I think we're learning a little bit about the difference between hype and actual reality of delivering on a promise. Gabe's going to do that for you. Give him a call, 832-557-1095. So, Kevin, you talked about the defensive line. I'm going to give you an option. We can go either way. Do you want to talk about the D-line a little bit and talk about the big uglies on the other side? Or do we want to talk a little bit about the quarterback battle and what that's going to look like? Let's do D-line and get to quarterback battle because I wanted to do this in order, and I tried to on the post game. It turned into quarterback controversy, which everyone loves. And I think it's – Oh, God. And Right. But, I mean, I didn't want to make – you know, we even said we're not going to make an hour and a half out of this because the lines of scrimmage were the bigger issue. And yes. And, look, Hudson looked awful or did not look good at all, looked rattled. And, I, I look, you know the reason that I thought Casey Thompson would get the start going back to the spring was because of why, Paul. You thought that he was the more risk-averse choice and he would that would prevent the transfer? Um, yes, but also the offensive line I knew was going to be garbage, yet I kept on being told they're going to be a lot better. And I said, no, I've seen these guys. We need someone who can run. This is not going to be – Sark's ideal offense. It's not going Mm. to be because the personnel won't allow it, mainly up front. We got to the offensive line. The defensive line, I was dead wrong about. I thought that there was going to be talent there. I thought they would get into shape, and they got their asses handed to them. What did you see? I think that some of my concerns about strength and conditioning before the year, based on little snippets that I've heard from the new coach, I think I saw some bad stuff in that regard. Uh, and I also saw, as, as I mentioned last week, we saw bad pad levels. And you know, there was a retort to that of like, oh, we gave up less than 100 yards rushing. What are you seeing? And it's like, well, actually, I don't rely on the box score. Mm. I don't have to rely on inference. Novel. I actually watch. And when our pad level is high, maybe Louisiana didn't have enough talent to do a lot with that. Or maybe they fell behind so much that they couldn't do something with that. But when I see high pad level, I'm going to write that we have a high pad level. And then the next week when we play an offensive line with the determination to do something about it and a scheme that wants to do something about it, and frankly, a Pete Kwiatkowski scheme that fails 
to understand what Arkansas is trying to do on offense. It's, Arkansas did nothing you, new or unique in this game, Kevin. No. I mean, this I, is their offense with KJ Jefferson. Right. It's to veer and shoot. Defensively, and, they, they changed up a little bit, like we talked about with the three high and the odd front compared to Rice. But Odom's done that before. You should be ready for that. Offensively, nothing new. Nothing new at all. And, and frankly, before the game, we're like, hey, you have got to put this game on the brain and arm of KJ Jefferson. Right. You've got to. You've got to stop the run. You've got to bring novel pressures. You've got to pressure to contain. You've got to shut down that run game. You've got to shut down the quarterback run game. And you've got to make K.J. Jefferson beat you down the field making accurate, smart throws. And you've got to make him do it for four quarters. And we came out in effectively the kind of defense that you run against a traditional Big 12 spread pass-first team. And I cannot fathom what Pete Kwiatkowski thought he saw on film all week. So I saw a lot of, and it's always tough, man. I always want the all-22 during the game. I want to find out if guys are open and Hudson Card is, I mean, he had happy feet. I knew that either way, and he had a bad offensive line. They moved the pocket a little bit in the second drive. They're going to have to do that a lot more. But I would love to have known, are these guys open? Are they open for a split second? Is there an, an anticipation there that he didn't have? Or are they just getting locked down? Because either could be the case, knowing the personnel, and even more so with the receivers, because I know them. I'm just getting to know Hudson and then Casey. But the all well, the, the all 22 on defense would have been interesting, too. I know they were playing a lot of too high look. That's not the way to go against a veer and shoot, is it? No, not at all. I mean, look, if you've got a very adept quarterback that you're concerned about, yeah, you, you can take that slower bleed in the run game, right? Because the quarterback typically is not involved in that run game, so they don't have numbers, right? When K.J. Jefferson, who was the strongest running back in that Arkansas backfield at 245-plus pounds, and by the way, people kept saying he's Tyrone Swoops. It's like no, he's more mobile quicker than, that. than Tyrone Swoops. He is. He showed that. And he showed it against Rice, too, on that 20- or 30-yard run. Yeah, and he had a 60-plus yard touchdown run against Rice that was called back. So the guy can scoot. Now, he's going to get started a little slower than a guy who's 190, but, you know, it's there. And Texas played the Arkansas run game like they were just a typical Big 12 spread offense. And, and I don't get it. The whole idea for Arkansas was to cover and conceal K.J. Jefferson in the passing game and run the ball as much as they could. And I think... Kendall Bryles must have done the double take the first few times he saw how we were lined up. I, I, I think he thought that there must be some kind of sucker play here and we're going to bring a bunch of late safety blitzes or, or cornerback blitzes off the edge and create numbers. But that's not what Texas did at all. And even within that game plan, Texas didn't do a very good job of even playing a basic containment or, you know, uh, let's set the edge and let's, you know, make Arkansas run it down the field and, you know, five yard pops. There was, I mean, we were, we were trying to set the edge with blitzers and, and doing random stuff. And it was, it was very odd. And then, and not you know, setting put, it well either. Not setting it well. We put Ovia Gofu in late. He really didn't play a lot. And I guess we found out why because he thought containment meant sprinting up the field and then turning and then watching an outside zone run get cut back in his vacated space uh, for, you know, an easy 30 yard touchdown run. So, I, I don't know what's going on on defense. Look, Pete Kwiatkowski has a good resume. He didn't make that up. He's good. He's, he's good. I'd, I'm wondering if he's good against a certain menu of offenses or if he just had a one-off week where, you know, I joked in the, what I wrote on Inside Texas. Did, did we have like a Lonesome Dove marathon and the coaches were like, hey, Lonesome Dove marathon. Arkansas is not very good. They struggled with Rice. Let's – uh. Let's let's all sit in the film room and, and, and hang out and, and chew sunflower seeds and watch Lonesome Dove. But I, I doubt that. It, it doesn't feel like Arkansas got scouted. And we're saying things that we said about Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, and I don't get it. Offensively, it doesn't because it was essentially kind of what, what they're trying to do with the veer and shoot. Defensively, they changed some things up, and that's where Texas probably – throughout more of what they're going to be against Louisiana. Arkansas struggles against Rice, gets booted halftime at home. 
but they had some things defensively Odom did that he didn't show. So he had some things still in the holster. I was hoping Texas would. I was really let down uh, j- just with the whole whole effort. Coaching, certainly playing, players. I, look, the players are only going to be so good, though, and I'm going to be stuck on that all year unless they go on a big run here. I, I've been told all spring and summer about recruiting rankings. Yo, when they're juniors and seniors, throw that shit out. Who cares? I, I, I don't care what the recruiting ranking is. It was misevaluations on every part, coaches and the recruiting rankers, and then also bad development. And it's a car that coming out of the you know factory you were really excited about, it was a lemon to some degree, and now it's been road hard and the wrong way. And so the secondary especially, the secondary looked like crap, man. This is who we are. These are the guys that Texas has, and this coaching staff can only coach them up so much, and if they coach like they did on Saturday, this has a chance to be, you name it. I mean, the Big 12 looks like shit, but 5-7, and 6-6, and 7-5, maybe good. Hmm. I don't think we're as bad as this game. I don't either, but there's a long way to go between this performance and being average. Well, what this game teaches us is that we know now that we can be as bad as this game. Right. Right? If you're setting the range for this Longhorn football team, we don't know what the ceiling is, but we certainly know what the floor looks like. And Texas got knocked onto that floor and, and hung out there for a while. So I, I would say two things, though. Um, Barry Odom, that three across defense, yeah, that was his base defense last year, Kevin. Right, no, so he's done that before. That's why, that's why I okay, said that so earlier. Okay, so what I'm saying is yes. they might not have shown that as much against Rice, but that is his base defense, and you need to pull that film and, and expect that that's probably what we're gonna, they're going to go to Fair. when they see Texas yep. roll in. And then secondly, I actually thought of the defense, I didn't have a huge problem with the DBs. I thought actually early in the game they tackled pretty well. Yep. They're, they're, they had several one-on-one situations where they made a good tackle. Anthony Cook played well again from that nickel roll. Uh, he had a really good solo tackle. Then he had a good pass breakup in the end zone. Deshaun Jamison gave up that 44-yarder. Didn't look good. No. Honestly, at, at that point, I got to think those corners were peering into the backfield and thinking run so much that Deshaun probably lost his guy. Right. Yeah. Because that, that, that was a tertiary Arkansas receiver. It's not one of their main guys. And I think Deshaun probably got caught peeking. That's not good. But I don't think the defensive backs really got tested other than trying to tackle Arkansas ball carriers who had a full head of steam, you know, late in the game or in the middle part of the game. Right. Um, but the, tack- the tackle was really bad. KJ Jefferson to do much in the passing game. Right. No, they didn't. I mean, they threw for 138 yards. And but when they needed to throw. You had DBs that, that weren't in place, including that Jamison throw. And I was talking a lot about tackling and really thinking about Brendan Schooler, who, mm. I mean, the angles were really bad. The cutbacks obviously hurt Texas a lot. And some of that's up front. Some of that is the tackling and the angles from the back end. Um, no, I'm just talking about more about what this team is. If It's very easy to, to think that coaching's going to come in and that technique's going to completely change or that the, the play is going to change. And I expect to see that from the DBs this year. And I said that even last week, that we, we kind of are who we are. There's only so much that can get coached up. I think this team will get better throughout the year, but recalibrate what you think this team is. Why do you think our D-line looks weak? Pad level is one thing. Uh, you know, they talked about, how these guys, especially the two defensive tackles, are going to get in shape. Sweatman a play early on, but did you look at the the weight for for Coburn and Sweat? Because remember they were going to get down into the three twenties, right? Yeah, oh, no, no, they're well over three forty each for sure. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it so gets Coburn, back to you, it gets back to your strength and conditioning. Well, we joked about this, Kevin. So, if any of you watched the Tampa Bay Dallas game. On Thursday night. Great game. You saw Vita Vea for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
do what I think a lot of Texas fans think Creandre Coburn does. And he doesn't. And he's never done that. Okay? For a play or two, but never consistently. He, he early in that game, to the thing we joked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago, he had a great play where he got his hands, he fired out low, got his hands on the Arkansas guard, walked him back straight. He didn't try to take a gap. Walked him straight back two yards, ran him into the running back. The running back tried to cut out, and then a linebacker came right off him. I think it was Brockermeyer, cleaned it up for a tackle for loss. That was early in the game. That's exactly what it's supposed to look like. Next 10 games, next 10 plays, I should say, that I saw Coburn on over the next you know, three drives because they rotate so aggressively, he just stood. He just basically fired out kind of stood up, hand fought. If the ball wasn't coming anywhere near him, he just watched. And, you know, you could say, well, he did his job. They didn't come through his gap. Well, that's not what we're really looking for. At that point, play me a 270-pound guy in the defensive line who's going to pursue or try to penetrate or try to do something to disrupt. If you're not going to knock back the offensive line, if you're not going to be a problem when they single block you, you're not Vita Vea. You're not what you're being billed as. Yeah. So what are you contributing? What's your, what's your contribution to the run game, to the, to the overall defense? Should we just pull you out and put in another linebacker? Well, probably not if you look at our roster. But should you be putting in Alfred Collins next to Moro Jomo? Should you be uh, just being going for guys for a little bit more motor? Because I, just, I don't see it from a technical standpoint, and I don't see it from a strength standpoint feels like these guys spent the entire offseason just sort of doing like, you know, rate of force production nonsense with 135 pounds. And maybe it actually got weaker. I mean, I don't know at this point. It's all kind of a black box. I just I'm trying to square what I'm seeing with the field on the field versus what I think some of these guys might be capable of. But maybe I think too highly of them. Yeah, I think the might be capable of is us getting back to recruiting rankings or maybe glimpses or flashes like with Coburn where it's a player or two in his career just looking at the ceiling and saying, well, maybe that can be the consistent level. And, I mean, it's too early to find out kind of strength and conditioning, what's going on. We, we talked about Herman. They didn't seem to be in shape with the conditioning part towards the end of games. Um, I don't know what the strength part is with Sark. I do know that I've seen a lot of these guys for three or four years, and they're not great football players. That rarely changes. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for someone who lives up to the hype, unlike the Longhorns, realtor Laura Baker from the Andy Allen team of Keller Williams, she gets it done for her clients. Kevin, let me tell you something about that. Last week, she had elderly clients. These people are nearly 90 years old. And they're getting ready to close on a home. Laura sold them. She was the listing agent. They're almost 90 years old, and they didn't have any family in town. They're moving to Temple. The day before closing, the movers show up, and they don't have a big enough truck, Kevin. Oh, man. These folks have to leave boxes in the house that there's about to be a final walkthrough. The The buyers are coming in. If they don't get these boxes moved... The sale's going to get delayed. You might even jeopardize it. You could, you could pay a penalty. All sorts of stuff happened. You know what? Laura got on the phone. She's the realtor. She has nothing to do with any of this. She got on the phone. She got other movers. She solved the problem. She got all everything coordinated and moved to their home in Temple because at this point, the elderly couple was overwhelmed. She made sure everything went through without a hitch. Everything closed on time. Everyone was happy, and this elderly couple didn't have to sweat it. That's what a great realtor is going to do. They just solve problems. They make everything work. If you want everything to work, you need to contact Laura Baker, 512-784-0505. That's 512-784-0505. Yep, no doubt. Laura is uh, someone you need to uh, contact, especially if you're buying, Paul. I mean, it's come down a little bit, but it's still red hot. You have to have someone who really knows what they're doing, and Laura is that person. Let's finish off kind of on that note with the defensive line or defense in general. You and I both think a lot of uh, Kwiatkowski in PK. We've watched him, and I watched him at Boise State. He played there, didn't watch him then. But then as a DC with Peterson, Peterson takes him to Washington, fell in love with his defenses at Washington, but – he got out coached here, and the too high look 
considering with what Arkansas was doing, that that was troublesome. Uh, the angles, the tackling, as it got away, because the tackling was pretty good early on, and you talked about the secondary. It actually was pretty good. But as Sark talked about today with the press conference, it was like a dam, and the water just built up, and a fine, finally it broke. But, yeah, man, I, I've got questions all around right now. And I picked Arkansas to cover, Texas to barely win, Obviously felt dumb with that, but I was getting shit on the afternoon show. I mean, in in a cool way from fans that listen saying, nah, this could be a Texas blowout. I think it's very easy to buy in. I certainly did to uh, to a degree last week because they look like that. And as we said, we're going to be fluid very early on. You're collecting that evidence. This was We're heading to the break with Angela Lansbury, and the evidence got pretty mounting. Yeah, here's a weird thing. I don't know if you like I don't know if you want to remember this possession, but when Texas showed some sort of pulse with Casey Thompson at the beginning of that fourth quarter, right? Texas goes down, has a 75-yard drive, scores a touchdown. It's now 33-14. You basically have a full quarter left in college football and in high school football. You could still win the game. There's a theoretical chance. Now, I'm not saying based on the three quarters that were played before, right, and the trend of the game of what's happening. I get it. But shouldn't you play the game like you're trying to win at that point? Yes. Yes, you should. Okay. I, I, I didn't mean that setup as like a trick question. No, just, no, no. Literally, no. that's the game situation. It's 33-14. We got a quarter left to play. Do you not want to, like, on defense, start taking some chances to try to force a quick three and out or a turnover? Yeah, you do. Um, but I, I think they just felt outmatched. I mean, Kendall Bryles is a pretty damn good coach. We remember him as well, but, a, Go ahead. Well, let me, like, time out on that. So it's 33-14. Arkansas gets the ball. What are they going to yeah. do right there? What do we know they're going to do right there? Run. Run the ball, okay? They're going to run the ball. And K.J. Jefferson just threw an interception, Okay. So, and by the way, that was an amazing play by B.J. Foster. Yeah, Great really play. good play. So they're going to run the ball. We know they're going to run the ball. You want to overload the run. You want to freaking play an eight-man front. You want people outnumbering every gap. You want to be running stunts. You're not doing any containment, like hold, read the guard. You're trying to make a play on the other side of the ball. You want Arkansas to throw the ball, and they don't want to throw the ball, Okay. We come out in our little six-man box running a 4-2 with two safeties deep. Arkansas ran the ball eight times consecutively with a freshman running back. 75 yards, touchdown. No adjustment. No adjustment. And do you know who played the majority of the snaps inside on the interior? Is it Collins? Byron Murphy and Vernon Broughton. Okay, because I saw Collins in on the goal line. Um, Wow, those two guys. We've heard good things about Murphy, but... I mean, at that point, it's almost like they felt like it was over with and they're just getting bodies in there they want to work on. I mean, that that's that pisses me off. I mean, the game's, you need to play game's the probably game. over, but you play it like it's not. You play the game. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. You play the game like you're trying to win. And at that point in the in the early fourth quarter, if you can't finally decide that you're going to stop the run at all costs – like, get out of here, man. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're helping Arkansas burn clock because you want to get out of there? Like, I don't, that, that's, a, that's a lack of competitiveness, and I don't like that at all. I don't know what that's about. I don't either. So, I don't know. Anyway, I, maybe that's a, a not that important. Uh, maybe that's just a diatribe. I got to also say, on the other side of the ball, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but if you'll indulge me. Go for it. We uh, were down 23-7 in the early third quarter. Steve Sarkeesian opts to go for it on fourth and one on the Texas 42. Awful call. Greg Davis called. If you want to go for it in that situation and you've got something in your back pocket, you got the my blessing. You probably have Kevin's blessing. I don't want to speak for you. No, go for it. Go for it, but don't give me that. Don't give me that call. A hurried inside handoff to Bijan against what? What did Arkansas do? Oh, they ran ran blitz both linebackers. What a shock. And they pinched, and we get too. A, we get, they, I mean, they pinched the line. 
they pinch the line and they run blitz both of their linebackers to the same gap where they know the ball's going to go because we've been running in the same inside zone call all game, no success. And we turn the ball over on downs. It's a negative play. Arkansas goes and kicks a field goal. It's 26-7. Like, that, that's so dispiriting. And imagine had Texas had some sort of play call in their back pocket and you get some momentum. And imagine just make yourself open to the possibility. We all know what happened in the game. But imagine it's 23-14 Texas. Maybe you get a little pulse. Maybe you get a sign of life. Maybe you start throwing every down. Maybe Pete Kwiatkowski decides he's going to play the run and make K.J. Jefferson actually make some throws. Maybe you put a little pressure on their sideline instead of spending four quarters where the, all the pressure was on us. I, I just I don't get it. I don't either. And another thing, getting back to the offensive line, uh, we talked about this in the spring, and I said that I think Texas is going to have to be really creative with the run this year. That yes. I love Bijan, and I had different people, I'll throw a rod under the bus, who told me, now Bijan will make the offensive line look really good. He can only do so much. And the offensive line actually is so bad that you're going to have outings like he had where there's one 20-yard run where he cuts left and, and uses his vision and, and was able to break that. But they're going to have to be creative. And if you think you can go under center on fourth and one when Arkansas is going to sell out and run that type of shit, you're going to get that most days of the week, depending on the front. But Arkansas had already proven they were winning that battle and blitzing, run-blitzing linebackers left and right. That was expected, the result on that. And yeah. and that's where Sark's going to have to be overly creative. I felt like Sark and Kwiatkowski were going to have to have their best years ever as play callers. Certainly Sark to maybe go back to the Washington team with Price, but to actually get stuff done. And I expected too much from them, at least looking at Arkansas, because they both got out coach. If they both get out coach, this is a six and six, seven and five team. No question about that. Yeah, Texas cannot roll out the football and roll out their helmets and expect to win no. against most of the schedule. And uh, yeah, so it's interesting. All right, we've been saving it till till the end because inevitably it's going to whatever word we say any careless word is going to spark a debate and everyone's decided that card doesn't have it he can't ever play for texas other people say no casey went in there during garbage time arkansas didn't do any you know they didn't weren't running any of the defenses they'd already sort of taken their foot off the accelerator so what casey did late is irrelevant there's a lot to that probably there's some truth in the middle so let's just talk about what we actually saw okay Early in the game, I thought Hudson Card was not helped in any way by the play calling, the offensive line, his wide receivers. Jordan Whittington dropped two balls. He's got to catch the ball when he's the reliable chain mover guy. Yep. At the same time. One of those was really tough, and he's got to turn around, but you got to catch that in the end zone. It. Yeah. The, other, just, one, I, the other one hit him in the hands. Exactly. On the other hand. We did see some situations where we had three throws from Card, where two of them, it was schemed up for a big gain correctly. He had forever to throw. He set himself. It was a perfect call. Xavier Worthy was wide open. It would have been a 70-yard touchdown, whatever it would have been. I don't, I don't know the exact distance. Missed him okay. right on one there, right in the middle of the field. Missed him. And that's, a, that's not a hard throw. That's not a hard throw. The second throw he missed for a touchdown was to Jordan Whittington. That was on a scramble late. Whittington broke open. Uh, he's on the run. He's on the move. That's not an easy throw. I wouldn't say it's the most difficult throw in the world, but he was off. It tailed off right. Same deal. Uh, I think Greg McElroy was pointing that out. Yep. And then there was a third throw where, again, Xavier Worthy was schemed open. I would say it's an intermediate level throw. Not hard, not easy. And it would have gone for about a 40-yard gain. Missed him right. And yeah. so those are three opportunities where you're on the road. Things aren't going well. You need your quarterback to make the play. He's got to make the play. If not on two of the, those three throws, he's got to make him on at least one of those three throws. And where those three opportunities occurred over three. And I think ultimately that 
erased the confidence of the offense. I think it erased the confidence of the staff. I think it erased Hudson's confidence. And I think you saw his play decline a little bit. He got a little bit indecisive. Is that a fair characterization? Very much so. Um, he's, okay. And so something that I mentioned last week that I saw with him, and we didn't have much critique because you really couldn't. Uh, we critiqued the offensive line. We saw that. But I also said that Hudson has to be a more decisive runner when he's going to run, right? Yes. So I want him to use his mobility, which he has. He played slot here at, at Lake Travis before he uh, was starting quarterback. He's an athletic guy. He doesn't want to run. And he's too indecisive with that. And with this offensive line and this offense, as I said, it's not going to be be the optimal Steve Sarkeesian offense. And the sooner Sark realizes that, the better off he is. And he should have realized that in the spring. But Hudson needs to, when he's going to run and there's something there, take off. And he did have happy feet. I would love the all-22 because my guess is these receivers – the same guys outside of Xavier Worthy, had issues getting open because that's been a problem for them throughout their whole career here. So just like the offensive line, what we saw has actually been a problem. Twists and stunts, communication, Okafor leaving that guy, not even covering a guy on a, on a twist right up the middle, that's been a problem. So the coaches have not been able to correct that. With all that said, Hudson – I, he just he, he started to get rattled and and it felt too too quick and too fast for him. You know, you could have gone to Casey earlier. If Casey Thompson starts this game, Texas loses and probably by two or three touchdowns. So the soft coverage we saw at the end, the passing part of Casey, I I, I don't know. I mean, I've got that one half in the Alamo Bowl where he looked great. The running part, I do know this offensive line is not going to get that much better. And that there's going to be a lot of off-schedule stuff. So you need someone who can move the chains with their legs. And he's a much more decisive runner. It's not that he's that that much more athletic. We've laughed about that. It's that he actually is willing to run. And Hudson doesn't really seems to be the type of guy that wants to stay back there until the very end, until it's too late. He's got to be more decisive early on. Probably with some of the throws, I don't have the all-22, but definitely with running that I can see on, on the screen. Is that fair? Yeah, I think, you, I, I think that's right. I mean, I hope we're, we're trying to characterize what we saw, right, and not let our feelings. Because everyone has this lean, oh, I'm a, I'm a card guy, and he didn't get a chance. I'm a Tom Thompson guy. He should have had the job. Whatever. I don't care. This is just what we saw. Right. And Casey was the more decisive player. Yes. And you could say that was the game situation. Maybe. We're going to find out against Rice. Or well, we're going to find out a little bit against Rice. Yeah. Rice is, doesn't necessarily tell us a lot. But we uh, right before we went on the air, Casey Thompson is announced as the starter against Rice. Is that the right move? What do you think? I think it's the right move, but I'd be fluid with this the whole time. And that's one of the things we mentioned when Hudson Card was the starter if Casey's thinking about transfer and say, hey, we don't know what this guy's like under the bright lights. Don't go anywhere. I don't believe in two quarterback systems very often. I would utilize it now. and Because people have absolutes in life. And Trey even said on the post game, I don't want to go two quarterback system. Well, that usually is not the direction I want to go. And I wouldn't do it like Steve Spurrier did in 97 with, with Doug Johnson and Jesse Palmer where it was like a a pull, you know, a uh, a rotating guard who would bring the play in, um, old school there. But I would, if you get in a third and three, I'd rather have Casey Thompson. I'd rather have, not that he's that much more of a gifted runner, and it's not Vince Chance where it's obvious you bring someone in to be that runner, or like the Bears did last night with Andy Dalton and then Justin Fields when you get into third and short or goal line situations. But I'd rather have the runner, the guy who will, can, and wants to run or will run, more importantly, be that guy. So I wouldn't mind if in the same possession we saw both. Right now, I would roll with Casey Thompson and see where that takes you. Rice hopefully won't answer that. Hopefully that'll be answered against TCU and not even against Tech, where the next two games Texas could play either and still win the game. But right now, look – uh, Card was too rattled, and with this offensive line, 
getting back to what I said in the spring, you need the guy who will run. This offensive line is garbage. They have been garbage. They're going to be garbage. I wonder, I mean, Rice is the ultimate get-right opponent, right? Oh, it should be. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... I'm being serious. <laughs> this doesn't bode well, right? They Arkansas struggled with them. Uh, but it, let's assume Rice is the typical get-right opponent. We showed our bottom game, right? This is Texas cratering, right? We've seen Texas do this before, okay? Even in the good days... When we've seen, you and I have watched enough football to know that sometimes you can get your ass beat, and three games later, you're a different football team. No doubt. Because you fixed a couple of things that had, that was having an outsized impact on your performance. No doubt. This is not that team. Okay. So your estimation is, we've seen the floor, and that floor is also suggestive of what our ceiling is going to be. Yeah, I mean, look, look, there is a ceiling. This team can play much better, and I think they will play better. But if if you have the same offensive line, people are talking about the quarterback position, and that's the that's like number four on my list in terms of personnel decisions. I mean, if, right. if Carrick, Connor, or any of those guys, I wish Tyler Johnson uh, would focus more on football than music from what I've heard. He's one of the highly recruited guys who's been there long enough. Uh, Amade, I don't care who it is. Once again, I don't care who wins. Hook Finn, who apparently has some injury problems. I don't care about. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's. I don't care if it's Charles Wright. Just get the right guys in there, and I think it's more one through twenty-two. I'd start with the offensive line. I would challenge the hell out of the defensive line and say, you guys, of everyone in here, we've got some dog shit players that should never get a ride at UT. Okay, in other rooms right now. You guys aren't those guys, and y'all have to step it up. You're not the linebacking room. You're not the offensive line room. You're not the receiver room. Don't say that if you're a coach. But you, you, <laughs> Don't say yeah, any of these yeah. things. You know, no, you're not. But you, but you, get, you get my frustration and where I'm coming from. I would, yep. I, I would, say, I would say it with a, with a lot more subtlety and, uh, and, so, and softness. I would, I, would get, I would get that message across without saying exactly what I just said. But everything I just said is true and is the reality that we're dealing with right now. The defensive line's got to step it up. The other units, try and coach them up as much as possible. And more importantly, scheme around their weaknesses. And there are a lot of them. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm being too much of a holdout on the offensive line. But I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you, Paul. I'm well, but I'm telling you, man, we're playing these guys exactly the way that they, we started last year, and it's not what they do. It's not what they can do, right? You're talking they're not about good at recognition, outside they're zone, not, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think the simplest thing you can do with these guys is find something that plays to their strength and run it over and over until they get comfortable with it. I mean. I'm I'm watching I'm rewatching the game and yes they are losing the battle of aggression they're losing all sorts of ways a lot of it was confusion they don't know who they're blocking I, they don't know what they're seeing I I agree, I agree with that the greatest gift of outside zone and I hate to be that guy I know I'm a little Shanahan groupie and all that stuff well it's worked gift, look at McVeigh last the gift night of it it's not just that it worked it's why it works because if you drill it all the time. The front that they run doesn't matter. The rules of outside zone are always there. Yeah. It's just you're always doing the same thing over and over. And over time, you get good at it. And your backs get good at learning the keys and how to cut off of it and when to go against the grain and when to turn it into a sweep and when to actually turn it into inside zone, which outside zone can become, right? And it doesn't matter what front they're running. And you want them to blitz linebackers against outside zone. You want them to give up that depth, right? Yes. But we're not running any of the things that we've demonstrated we might be good at. And I got to go back to Kyle Flood and, and say, like, you have to coach the team that you have, not the team you wish you had. And I don't accept that every single offensive lineman on that campus is is garbage. I don't accept that. 
I'm not saying every, I really don't. I'm not saying every single one is. Uh, n- none of them played that well. I mean, I think Kerstetter could be the type of guy that hopefully is your fifth offensive lineman uh, during a, a cyclical year, even though he got beat. Engelau is kind of Engelau at this point. We know what he can do as a run blocker and a pass blocker. Majors, you really got to utilize what he does well, and that is reach blocking and that outside zone, that Shanahan-type scheme. Carrick would be the same way. To be honest, the left side, to me, they are what they are. Okafor is confused. Yes. And Jones needs to get meaner. There's no question. Are those the only problems with those two? No, there's more. But, you know, I'm pro UT. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to try to keep this. <laughs> we're trying to keep this without uh i get it going off the rails but I, no i'm pro ut too and i don't think i'm going off the rails i i mean i don't think i'm also being prisoner of the moment it, this is actually kind of what i expected all spring i was pleasantly surprised against louisiana we may have overrated them as a top 25 team but look they could have lost this game and and i would not <clears throat> not come in and crush them but th- i think this is a slap in the face and a reality check it's also what we've been so if we didn't have the four to five years, and a lot of this is cum with the fan base being frustrated. Yes. This is 10 years. We're seeing it with Nebraska, and we talked about that this spring a little bit. But I'm just giving you my football take, watching it, then rewatching it. I only rewatched it once. I probably will one more time tonight. That Arkansas, Arkansas was picked sixth in the SEC West. And by the way, that was probably the correct prediction. Now, we're going to see, obviously, A&M had an injury at quarterback, which is going to really affect them. Uh, Mississippi State appears to be terrible. But I think Arkansas, in my opinion, I think they're a 500 team. What do you think? I think they're probably around there. I mean, they, look, okay. they threw for 138. They're going to be teams that can stuff that run. I, I think people – I think I don't know if Texas fans will be shocked. Actually, that's not true. But I could tell you it's going to be a wake-up call when a, an S, a, a I'm not even saying Georgia or Alabama or whatever. When a team goes in there with a pretty good game plan and KJ Jefferson has three turnovers and the Arkansas run game totals 114 yards and on defense, they give up 45 (laughs) because they hit all those open throws. Right. I think people are going to be shocked at some of the game results later in the year with Arkansas. Yeah, I think they will. And I look, we said this. I think Sam Pittman's doing a good job. They're better than I thought. I mean, certainly on the look on Saturday, they're much better than I thought. But I think they're definitely going to be better than I thought. I think they may be a game or two above 500. And Maybe. I, think, I think they're going to make a bowl game, which is huge considering where that program's coming from. He's got, you know, Pittman's probably uh, a yokel in terms of just as a head coach. But he's got two really good coordinators. He made some really good hires. And they've got enough talent. Now, they're one-dimensional on offense, so you're right. That's going to get. That's probably going to be a problem in the SEC when you've got physical defenses that can actually handle that. You need to be two-dimensional. Offensively, Jefferson's always going to uh, bring them back a little bit with the passing game. Defensively, they're good. I mean, we talked about Catalan. Their linebackers are good. But I think Texas, with their offensive line, I mean, I would be surprised in the SEC if they face a worse offensive line than that. I don't know if they have Vanderbilt on the schedule, and I haven't seen the the Commodores' offensive line yet, but we've seen these guys for the last couple years. We have a pretty good feel of how good they can be, coaching or not. Yeah, I just – I guess I'm having trouble abandoning what I saw from Texas over the backstretch of last season. Yeah, and you, you saw it against even, one of the worst Kansas State defenses post-1989. Oh, no question. And Colorado wasn't, like, full of killers. But the Big 12's not full of killers. Arkansas's defense is not full of killers. Like, I mean, that's the thing, is I'm not asking Texas to go put an ass-whipping on Georgia. I mean, I'm talking about can they face a Big 12 defense? And by the way, Barry Odom coaches a Big 12 defense. Yeah, people kept talking about SEC physicality. That three-man front with a bunch of blitzing and different fronts and the, the three across—that's a classic Big Twelve defense. It is schematically, and it was, and it was a schematically, and and they physically whipped the Texas offensive line. They sure did. So my question is, 
can that offensive line go? Because like that terrible Kansas State D, that terrible Colorado D, that's the norm of the Big 12 of what we see every week. So can this offensive line go out and actually compete with what I believe to be middle or to bottom half of FBS football defenses? Yeah, I think they, I think they can probably to some degree if they get better. Well, I, I hope, but I can tell you, Arkansas, they ain't fielding the top 25 defense. No. I don't think so. No, and we just saw what happened. So the Big 12 has looked really bad. Even TCU, I watched, rewatched that Cal game, and Cal carved them up. Cal, yes, they did. Cal probably should have won that game. You've talked about Justin and how good of a coach he is. Defensively, Cal gave up a lot of stuff. Zach Evans went off, and, and Duggins had a couple couple throws. But when I look at TCU, Oklahoma State beat Tulsa by five. I mean, all those are coin tosses, man. And and right right now, you'd probably pick TCU. And Iowa State got pretty handled by Iowa. Man, I called that. It's too bad I don't, I don't gamble because I did I, I did beat the pluck with Dave from Pluckers, and I'm 7-0 and in that thing against him this year. And the Iowa State, four and a half. Listen, listen three to seven, hornfm.com, if you want to get some early hot takes in terms of college football. I'm sure I'm going to have a cold streak coming up pretty quickly, but that was obvious. I went back and rewatched the Iowa-Indiana game. I knew Iowa's front was going to punk Iowa State, and they did. Man, if you won't gamble, let let me know. I will. No, I mean, I was on that all week. Uh, from Monday on, I said Iowa is going to win this thing outright, and it may even not may not be that close. You know, Purdy got pulled in that game. Oh, yeah. He deserved to be, by the way. Three, three turnovers. Yeah. Hey, can we talk about Notre Dame real quick? Yes, very quickly, and then I'm going to get to David. Was the Notre Dame uh, game on while you were doing the postgame? Uh, no, 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 no. Cause it was, it, it was before that it was on Peacock and I got someone uh, okay. to give me the password. Cause I'm certainly not going to buy that and checked out a little bit of it. It was 16, 14. Then I just checked out highlights after, I mean, N- Notre Dame is Notre Dame, A&M. I thought both would be overrated preseason and, and so far both are. One thing is not overrated is Jack Cohn, who I think actually is pretty good, but also what I love about him every time he takes off his helmet, I feel like he's from 1962. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's just a look that he has that yeah. when you see like old pictures of Roger Maris or pictures of like any athlete from the early 60s, he just looks like that guy. He is he is Duke Carlisle, right? He's <laughs> yes. just got that look to him. He's got that old school look. I hope Marcus Freeman can get more of a new school look for the defense. But yeah, lots of teams, Ooh, boy, lots of teams struggling right now, and Notre Dame is right up there. Uh, I love Kyle Hamilton. I love Michael Mayer. Their offensive line is having their own issues, but. Uh, they've got a lot more talent than Texas. Half the teams in America lost last week, Kevin. It's hard it's to fact. win. Yeah, 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 all that stuff. Hey, here's <laughs> the guy. You know what? What? You know who you're not going to lose with? David McClellan. I think it's the guy who can help you. Yeah, he's great. David McClellan, fiduciary financial advisor from Form Financial. He specializes in financial life coaching, also retirement planning. And guess what? We're going to give you a freebie. If you just tell him that you are part of the family with EGAT, which he is, you're going to be get a you're going to get a free consultation and all you got to do is mention the podcast. So, he can help you understand your financial freedom number, which is so huge, and also ways that you could be maybe building your wealth, also achieving financial freedom faster. Really smart. He's seen every side of the industry, won a couple national championships as a UT swimmer, works with people from all over the country, so no matter where you're listening, give him a call. It's free. It's not going to hurt. It's only going to help and it's helped out a lot of our listeners, it's David McClellan, fiduciary financial advisor from Form Financial, 312-933-8823, 312-933-8823, or email him, dmcclellan at formfin.com. Absolutely. And hey, look, if Kevin and I have sounded frustrated or irritated, <laughs> look, we're probably reflecting what you guys are feeling. Yeah, because all of us that are passionate about the University of Texas, we're passionate about football. We're passionate about excellence in every way with this university. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. And look, we try to take a long view and we're going to take the long view. Stick with us through the season. Stick with us through the whole Sark regime. And Let's see how it goes down. This is an early setback. There's no question about it. But I don't think it's determinative of everything that we're going to see, even not only just this season, but for the entire time that Sark is here. 
And if it is, well, then we saw it early and we're going to have to deal with it. Uh, but let's let it unfold. Let's not decide that, you know, that we're out on everybody. Uh, let's give it a chance and uh, let's see if we can get right against the Rice Owls. Totally agree. I mean, you're going to get quicker reactions when there's less evidence. And that's exactly where we're at right now. And we'll find out more. And I hope the coaching staff can find out more about their personnel and how to scheme around it. I still think this can be, I picked eight and four, I think it was my final uh, pick. And I still think they can do that. They've got a long way to go to get there, though. And and I think it's just important to kind of understand this could go a lot of different directions. It's going to be about coaching. It's going to be about player one-two and player buy-in and attitude. And hopefully they can get there. All right, Paul. Well, well, to kept, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to close and say to, to your earlier point, these coaches need to play and coach the best version of the team they have instead of the team they'd like to have. Well said. Talk to you all next week.